CJ and Zach come onto the porch and we have yet another therapy session. Um, this one was definitely the biggest egg of the season. I don't think there's any way you can sugarcoat it or deny. The yell down there in Waco was rather uh, discouraging. And so we'll talk a little bit about that, but more big picture on where the program's at. A lot of discussion on the quarterback situation. We'll also get into the Kerry Martin um, departure from the program. And uh, we've got some strong feelings about it. Um, and um, we will definitely have a little bit of disagreement there. I'm, I'm sure you'll be tuned in for that. But you guys know what to do. If it's in the morning, grab the coffee, feel stout. If it's in the evening, grab the drink. Come on back because we're going to talk all things about the State of the Mountaineer program. Garrett Green versus Jared Dagey. And then also a little bit on the back end there of year three in Dana's era versus year three in Neil Brown's. I think some people will be rather surprised by what you find. Let's go. Fellas, yet again, uh, another session to the couch. We're in treatment. Hopefully, all these sessions will we'll see some progress and some breakthrough soon because, damn it, we need to. It's been tough. Um, I mean, let's just rip the Band-Aid off immediately. Saturday was, was probably the worst performance of the season. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, I kind of want to go ahead and – I know, Zach, you're going to defer, so let's go ahead and go to CJ first with his take on what he saw because a lot to chew on, and most of it is not good. I just I just have one question. Are you charging by the hour for these therapy sessions? Because we're not getting better. We're getting worse. We might have to find a new therapist. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was charging by the hour. Um, hey, Zach, but you know what, though? Things are always dark before the dawn, right? Amen. Nice Batman reference. I dig it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely dig that. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm with you. It was definitely by far the, the worst performance. Um, the defense basically no-showed, um, struggled in pass protection, or struggled in, you know, pass defense, run defense, I mean, struggled in all phases. Offensively, we were discombobulated most of the day. Uh, it's tough because that's almost – Baylor's become a house of horrors, I think, for us um, going down there at times. But that was by far probably the most disappointing performance of the year. I don't think there's any question on that. So, I mean, CJ, I think you made a great point about how we were just discombobulated on offense. Um, I mean, other than the, what the, the big play by Sam James early, even our touchdown was on a, de- on a, de- on a deflected pass. And the defense definitely looked mis- mis- uh, really, the defense looked confused. They looked discombobulated. It's like me trying to spit that out. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was bad. And I don't. And I think, man, this is just my take on it. And I don't know if this is true or not. You guys can maybe uh, lend a little bit to this as well. But I think it's the first time this year we've had a team really come out and try and bootleg as hard and play action as hard. And they use the middle of the field with extreme success. Um, I, that's how I felt. I felt like the defense kind of there was some there was some lacking some depth back there. But then also just the the reality of it is is Baylor had a great plan, and it took us too long to figure out what they were doing. And by the time we did, it was over. No doubt, I'd say one of the biggest things they exploited too was the deep passing game, which to this point. I mean, Maryland did it a couple times, and it obviously worked well for them. Um, Texas Tech did it a couple times, especially in the first half, maybe once or twice in the second half a couple weeks twice ago. Twice in the second half, Zach. We know the two that were big ones in the second half, that for, you know, both in the fourth quarter, obviously. Absolutely. And Baylor absolutely killed us on it. And unfortunately, the main beneficiary or victim, I should say, of that was Daryl Porter. I mean, he's obviously a freshman. He's a young guy. He's getting his first starts of his career this season. He's still learning. I mean, you're going to go through those lumps. That's just part of it. But yep. they really, really blew him up. And not having Scotty Young, I think, really hurt him not making the trip. I still don't even know what happened there with him not making the trip. But not having him out there hurt a lot, too. He's one of your more experienced guys in the secondary. So it was just a recipe for disaster. I mean, they they absolutely bomb-rushed us. Yeah, and, and it was a lot of it was bootleg action and just guys running wide open, which is the first time we have seen that 
in maybe two seasons with Neil Brown. Well, now I'll yeah. take that back. Iowa State had some guys running wide open. I yeah. feel like they did a lot of Iowa State-esque stuff offensively right. on Saturday. Very comparable performances and getting the tight end involved. Sims with the two touchdowns, something you definitely don't expect, but he killed us too, just kind of like the tight ends for Iowa State did last year. Yeah, and Zach, you made an interesting point uh, about Porter Jr. I was kind of surprised. I mean, this is really kind of the first time he's been really, I would say, picked on, picked on. Um, he got straight you're exposed. Gonna go, yeah, and you're going to go through lumps and bruises with that. I mean, that's going to happen. Oh, yeah. um, it's only going to make him better. But I thought the other thing is, Blaine mentioned that them do in the middle of the field. They made our linebacking core look extremely unathletic. And and that's the first time we've seen that on in almost two seasons about the the linebackers looking unathletic. I mean, Cor- correct. Yeah, and I'm not saying that they are, but just it, they the way where they put them in those positions. And I mean, you you made the point with the bootlegs with the hard play action. I mean, they looked out of sync. They looked completely unsure of where to go or where to be. And it just it, that was not something I was accustomed to seeing out of that group. No, not at all. CJ. And I think there's something to be said about. If you think about it, through the first five games, we haven't had a team that really wanted to run the ball that decided to come out and do that on us. And I think it hurt us. VT might have tried that, but we were up on them so big early that they really couldn't establish that type of game plan. Um, hopefully that's something we can kind of uh, correct and, and kind of, as Neil said in his, his uh, press conference this week, repair and, reju- and, and readjust um, because we're going to need to if we're going to make anything out of the season. Yeah, you're going to make lemonade out of lemon kind of situation, that juncture in the season where you've really got to make some adjustments. And thankfully, you've got your only bye week of the season right now. It's a perfect time to do what you just said that Neil mentioned, repair and readjust. This is the exact time you got to do that. you got ample time to make those adjustments to evaluate what you have, who you're playing, who's getting the majority of your snaps. And it's going to be critical to see how they come back and play at TCU here in a couple of weeks because – they, they really got to respond after this one. Not responding after Texas Tech is bad enough. They don't respond after this Baylor loss. You've got real trouble. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair point, Zach. And let's kind of, um, if we want to go ahead and jump forward a little bit, we'll continue to keep talking a little bit about Saturday. But Saturday is what Saturday was, right? And it was an egg in the season to this point that has not had any eggs other than that one. That was the big egg. Um, that was Because was the other three games, I mean, the other three games we absolutely – lost at the gun. So I don't think we can sit here and then Maryland, you had a chance with four turnovers. So Saturday was by far the worst performance, like we've said. But I'll also say this. I think Saturday's upcoming after this bye week with TCU defines the season in more than a couple ways. A, are we going to see Garrett Green? And B, if we lose the, if we lose the, to TCU and down there in Fort Worth, um, I think at that point, two and five, it's asking too much to get back into a bowl game. But oh, yeah. it might I be now. Win, I think if you win that game and you're three and four, and you come back home with a lot of home, with three more home games remaining, um, and a game with Kansas, I think that opens things up. And I think six and six becomes a realistic possibility. And you're trying to flip the script and get guys ready for 2022, especially if your boy GG's behind center's act. Hey. I'm all in favor, and we'll talk more about that here soon. But I want to I want to mention something that you just kind of touched on. You really see this game as the one that you truly laid an egg in, a game that you didn't have it the whole game from start to finish because we talked about it's been a lot of playing one half and not the other yep. most of the season. This is the one where really nothing was going right for you offensively, defensively, you know, nothing exciting on special teams either way. I mean – we just didn't have anything going. And the biggest problem isn't even the offense because the offense kind of did what the offense has done. And that's obviously disappointing in its own right, but it has been for most of the season. The defense, like TJ mentioned, they just got completely obliterated. That's what concerns you. But you're trying to hang your hat on the fact that it's really the only game that has truly happened all around. You've had defensive lapses and things that can probably be attributed to youth, things of that nature. But this is the game that really just was – Horribly disappointing on that side of the ball, but you hope that it's just a just a fluke, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, and you know what? I think. Oh, go ahead, CJ. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think he's right. I think it's a fluke, but I wanted to ask this question, and it, and I'm not saying that it's the case, but it almost has kind of that 
eerie feeling to it. Go back to 2012, our first year in the Big 12, right? We had the big shootout against Baylor. We end up winning it. We went on a defensive stand at Texas. Then we go to Texas Tech and Lubbock and get absolutely drilled. And then from there on out, the season was an absolute disaster. Does, and I'm not – and the, that team quit on game. I'm not saying it's just going to quit on game. But doesn't, that, doesn't right now kind of feel like you're teetering on that a little? I, I'm going to be honest, CJ, no. I don't feel that way at all about this team because that team was Geno and the boys as seniors. And they and like you said, I don't necessarily think they quit on them. They just ran out of they didn't have the bullets in the gun defensively that year. You lose to Oklahoma with Tavon's amazing game, fifty nine, what fifty six. Mm-hmm. You lose the game to TCU in overtime down there. You lost a lot of tight games, right? That season. I don't think that's the same way with this team um, this year because it's just been so different. And I think there's a lot still to play for. Whereas that team, once they kind of got eliminated. Oh well, and we saw how big of an egg they laid in the in the uh, in the pinstripe bowl against Syracuse. I think they quit. I don't think this group's quitting on Neil Brown. Just my opinion. I think there's still a lot to play for this season, so I don't get that feel, CJ. Um, I don't know. I don't. You might be reading too much of Brad there because you're starting to kind of sound like him a little bit. There, buddy. It's like, bitch, I live in a fucking trash can. Let me let me jump in real quick on that. CJ, correct me if I'm wrong on this because I could be overanalyzing it, but I think that by and large, a lot of the fan base probably feels kind of like you're describing, like things are starting to go off the rails. And it may have something to do with, obviously, the performance on the field, the 2-4 and four record, and our recent slew of transfers. I mean, you just see today, or that was yesterday, Kerry Martin off the team. He decided to put his name in the transfer portal. Exactly. Good riddance. Good riddance to Kerry Martin. And you know what? Middleton had a nice little saying on his way out, but he wasn't yeah. playing anyway. So really, of the guys that transferred out today, only one of those guys has ever seen real time in the Big 12 Conference on the, then you, on the field. Then you got yeah. another guy on Eddie Watkins. He was a freshman linebacker who was brought in last year, a Neil guy. But, I mean, those things happen. I think multiple guys transferring with, within a week's time, plus what's kind of going on here. You have guys getting left at home on the trip. It's it's kind of maybe some indication of what you would think is – you know, this organization lost grip on the on the program. But I really don't think that's the case. I truly don't. I think I don't either, what Zach. you see coming out of the bye week should be more of a reflection of what you have. I think more people on that team, majority of the guys are bought in, and they should be able to turn it around. No, absolutely. No, and, and, and absolutely. No, and, I, and I absolutely agree with that. It was just kind of – it was something I wanted to float out there because it was something I started really kind of thinking about today and kind of going back and looking. And I, I, I don't feel like this team's going to do that. Like, this this does feel different. But I think there are maybe some fans out there, and, and I stopped reading Brad Smith a long time ago, so we can go ahead and just knock that out the park. But It's like, bitch, I live in a fucking trash can. <laughs> but as, as you kind of as you kind of look at the landscape, and I'm not trying to look at it in a vacuum, I'm trying to look at it from all angles and, and all perspectives. Is as I'm really kind of hoping that this isn't we that we end up in more of these than than we've initially had I think hoped or planned for. I, I still think everything's still somewhat on schedule. Yeah, it's a couple really tough losses and then just an absolute egg. But you're going to have these as you go, right? Not, and, and like you guys said, good riddance to Kerry Martin, fine, whatever. The other guys, okay, cool. It hurts us depth-wise, but I get it. We can talk about the transfer portal and it right or wrongly working, whatever. But I don't know. This this one does feel different, but at the same time, it's a, it's, it gives me just a slight pause and just, ooh, let's hope hey, they can find a way to get this corrected and it doesn't go completely off the rails. Hey, CJ, let's talk about that real quick, though, because I think the transfer thing is interesting, but we also got to think about it from this perspective, right? This is really the first time in season that we we're going to be able to see. Maybe we did a little bit last year, too, where guys, after about four or five games, if they realize, hey, I'm not playing – and I don't want to burn my red shirt. I'm out the door. And there's no – you don't have to wait a year now. I think you just see that more often now. And I think that's partially what it is. And then I think Kerry was a Dana dude who never really got with the program and was a me guy. And, you know, I don't want to speak any more about the situation there because I, I, I didn't like how it went down on either end. Um, it was not – it was a blackout for the program. There's no question about that. But then to see all the stuff that happens 
as an after effect of him and then him to literally quit on his team now after five games. Very disappointing. And I hope he goes and enjoys his career somewhere else. But I'm really not wishing him any well. I, yeah, I don't. I, even wanna, I don't even want to put that out there. I mean, he's a local kid, and even if he weren't, I mean, he's. A I don't care, here. Zach, and I don't mean that in the wrong way. But listen, the, the kid, listen. the kid's a me guy, and that's let's be honest about it. He's a me guy. There's no question about it, and that's what's wrong in society nowadays. And Kerry Martin, the way he was, the way he approached all of this stuff, was was not was not in the correct way. I don't believe. Hey, ultimately, that's that's totally fine. We don't all know what happened behind closed doors. Ultimately, things span back with him into early last season. Everybody knows that story. Officially gone out of the program, I think there was a lot that went on with him, you know, like I said, dating back to last year. A lot of history there. May have just been enough with not making the trip two consecutive weeks on road games. Um, it, it just wasn't yeah. a good ending. And like you said, it may have just been not a, a good marriage between him and Neil. He was a Dana recruit. At the end of the day, I don't think the kids wish anything well. But again, I understand the, the oh, disappointment I mean, for sure. Zach, I wish him well in terms of his life, but I really don't wish him any well when it comes to football. I have to be honest; I don't at all. I hope he goes and hope he goes and plays somewhere, but he's never truly successful. Successful in that the program he goes to never reaches heights higher than what he's what he was able to do in his one season, being five and seven with WVU. Just a me guy, and there's enough of that in society, and we don't need that. Yeah, and I, and I agree with you there, Blaine. And and that's and to me, this is where the issue with the transfer portal I have is is as you leave it open during the season, you're giving kids the opportunity to quit instead of working harder. And that's my issue with it as it's currently constructed. And I really feel like the NCAA needs to do some tinkering with it because all we're basically telling these kids that they can do is is all three, four, five games into it. Oh, you can just quit. It's no big deal. Well, it is for this coaching staff because these guys are coaching for their livelihoods. Like, yep. you know, you, you, you quit on your brothers in, in an absolute time of need, and I have an issue with that. So, yeah, Absolutely, CJ. I hope he goes somewhere. He's going to end up going probably transferring down. I don't know a whole lot of big programs are going to take a risk on this kid because they're going to know everything that comes with him baggage-wise. He's going to end up at a low D1 school and probably not really do a whole lot. Are we are we taking bets that it's Marshall? <laughs> I saw something about how Rutgers was on him coming out of high school, so I don't know if that's better yeah, or worse. But, well, I mean, Rutgers might have been on him out of high school, but look what he's done in two years. I doubt Greg Schiano wants that kind of cancer in his locker room. Um, yeah, with what he's trying to rebuild back up there, yeah, that Shiano is probably going to take a hard pass at this point. I, I don't see it. And you know what, too, um, guys, and, and, and again, Zach, I, I get what you're saying. And, and I don't, and I don't I, again, don't want to wish too much and, and, and get too much into this any more than we already have because I think we've already given it probably more time than it truly deserves. But like you said, CJ, about, about, about how – guys quit on the team Huggins says this best right when he said man it used to be all about the team and now all the NCAA cares about is the player but what about the rest of the guys in the locker room it's all about player entitlement but you're literally screwing over the other 50 guys on your team that's disappointing but that's also where we're at in society nowadays so it's not necessarily surprising yeah, and I mean, I, I'm cool with kids being able to transfer and play immediately, you know, at the end of the season because coaches can do it all the time with no repercussions. Right. So I, I'm cool with player movement, but I'm not cool with it mid-season when you're just, you know, it's – and I can understand kids transferring out for a variety of reasons. Homesick, uh, want a chance to play, you know, and they're not going to get it where they are. Like all of those things I understand, but when you do it mid-season, it, it's flat out more than just you You quit. You just don't want to put in the work and try and beat the guy ahead of you. Yeah, I think that's fair. And and granted, if situations arise to where, like in Middleton's case, where he kind of knows, hey, this is my last shot. I'm not get, I'm not seeing the field here at all. I want to go take one more shot somewhere to play. I get that, and I'm cool with that. But it, there is something I don't know. Maybe you got to change the redshirt rule somehow. Although they've already changed it as is. So the way the transfer portal set up, it's here to stay. We're going to continue to have these kind of things crop up. And I don't think it's an indictment on Neil or the program. 
that we've had three or four guys decide to leave. I just think that's college football now, and it's going to continue to be so. Yeah, because we're not the only program that deals with it. I mean, anybody that follows – I mean, heck, Alabama has kids transfer out all the time. I mean, it, it, it happens. So, I mean, I think we get stuck in the vacuum of it is, oh, oh, another kid's leaving, and we want to blame the head coach instead of looking at the overall picture of it, which is eh, kids move nowadays. They're, they're, they're more fluid in that. They're more – engaged into the and, business aspect of things and, and they're going to go where they feel like they have the better opportunity right and like they're, al- not, and they're allowed to move they're allowed to move wherever they want to and that's the systems allow them to do that and like you said cj they're business savvy especially with nil now they see in dollar signs and they're going to go find them and i don't blame them no i don't either but i but i would say this to any kid considering it be kind of be careful what you wish for right west virginia had two at the beginning of the year went to auburn and georgia respectively and neither one of them are on the depth chart so sometimes be careful what you wish for yep the grass is not always greener on the other side and speaking of green let's get into some garrett green talk. Oh, what a segue oh nice you know you, knew you loved it buddy you, know, you, you knew you loved it um brad how baby Hey, I, we learned we learned from the best there with those guys. You know, they're, they're very good. Um, here, here's the thing I kind of want to talk about it real quick. We obviously got a little bit of some snippets from Neil this week talking about the Garrett Green uh, versus Daggy situation. His feelings on Garrett Green, especially with pass plays, hasn't necessarily been thrilled with them. Felt like he was better in the run. What do we expect to see TCU? Is he going to be the guy? Are we going full in with Garrett Green, or do you think we're still going to see uh, more of the same? To hell with my deferential nature. I'm, I'm taking over on this one. This is my. Uh, this I, is didn't, I didn't expect you to wait on that one, buddy. <laughs> I'm jumping in. So I personally think, for a multitude of reasons, the correct decision, and I'm no head coach, I'm no football brilliant mind or anything of that nature. I just know what I see, and I know what position we're in right now as a football team and where we need to go moving forward. At this point in the season, we're two and four. You know, you're on the outside looking in on a potential bowl berth. You have a shot at it. But we are a team who halfway through the season, you're at the midway point of the season. We have a desperate issue with scoring points and moving the football consistently. And I'm not saying that Garrett Green will be able to pass quite as well as Garrett Daigie. I'm not even going to be putting the onus on Daigie. I mean, we have we've had the conversation all season, whether or not Daigie's capable of being that guy. I'm not here to have that conversation. I think that we all know what Daigie can do, what kind of player he is. But at the end of the day, the biggest issue with this offense, I think, is the offensive line, and it's mostly because of youth. And if you continuously allow pressure into the quarterback and – a guy in Dayton doesn't have the ability to escape it most of the time or really make throws that are great in the face of pressure, what should you do? Maybe go to a guy who can escape that pressure, who can make plays with his feet. Because if we only have time to make one or two reads and then maybe take off and run, who would you rather have to do that, Daggy or Green? I don't think there's any question, Zach, that you want Garrett Green doing that. And plus, being able to throw off the run, right? When you move him mm-hmm. off his point, Garrett Green can make plays. Daggy, yeah, he competed hard against Baylor, and he had probably some of his best scrambles he's had since he's been with West Virginia. No doubt. But he's not But he's not there, and he's not that guy. Um, here's one thing to think about, and he mentioned this earlier this week. Receivers are probably our best position right now, right? Mm-hmm. And have been the most consistent because the line's been awful. Quarterback's been kind of up and down. And Letty – while I think he's been good, he would probably be disappointed in his performance so far this season. But the receivers, yeah, I think the receivers have actually been the strength of this team. So if Green is taking off a little too quickly, that that takes away one of your biggest strengths, and you cannot negate something like that um, because we need that we need everything we can get on offense right now. And if you're taking away the ability of those wideouts, uh, that that could cause some problems. I think. Yeah, and and Zach and I and I agree with kind of where you're coming from on it. Um, I think for right now, it's probably going to stick with where it's been, and then, and a lot of it does come down to what Neil has said. And Neil in this has been very forthcoming in it. I think he's been really transparent in it because you know there's a lot of voices in the fan base that are saying, well, how come you know Green's just not the guy, and and I think you know there were a couple of times, and he mentioned it in the press conference 
man, the second he hit his back foot, he had made his mind up that he was taken off. And like like he said, like Blaine, you alluded to, you know, the wide receiving group has been the most consistent. And it's so tough to to really rely on them if you're going to be predetermined pre-snap, oh, I'm just going to take off with this thing and and not allow yourself to go through the progressions. And I, and I understand, yeah, the offensive line hasn't been real good. We need a guy with some escapability. But at the same time, it's – it's tough to get a read on how how effective he can be in the pocket because he doesn't seem to want to sit at it. He's very happy feeted back there, and I think that's that's something that limits them from a play calling standpoint. Okay, well let me let me ask you this then, in conjunction with that. So where we're at this season, where this program is heading, I think that playing Daggy the rest of the season could be a mistake, and I'll tell you why. I think that at this point you've got to kind of think more toward the future because this team isn't going to meet the aspirations that it had coming in. Whether they were realistic or not, it's just not going to happen. So you kind of want to see what you have to build with later on. Obviously, you still want to try and succeed as much as possible this season. And in the way of Green, who's to say that you can't do that with him? You won't know until you try him out. But I don't think that the expectation should be you're playing Nagy with the possibility of him coming back and being your starter next year. I really don't. I think that would be a mistake. Zach, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that that you saying that's not a mistake, man. Now, granted, I don't think that Nagy coming back is a bad thing. I don't think you just hand him the job. I think the offensive line needs to consistently improve, and we have to figure that out. But let's think about this real quick. If Jared Dakes puts that ball on Bryce Ford Wheaton against Oklahoma, we win that game. If we don't turn it over four times against Maryland, we win that game. If we have just a little bit different of a start against Texas Tech and maybe get a call at midfield before halftime, we might win that game. And instead of seeing us two and four and everyone calling for Dakey to be gone for green, we're maybe four and two or five and one, and we're – rosy and everyone's kind of excited about this season so i think we have to kind of pump the brakes a little bit on that but i also understand where you're coming from because garrett green is a part of the future of this team right although we also have to realize too as much as we want garrett green nico is sitting out there man and i mean it it's one of those things where is garrett green going to be the guy in his third year or is nico that good as a freshman to where he takes the job because if we're playing green and Green's not the guy next year, then what's the point? You might as well try and win games with Daigie now if you think he's the best option to win games. Although I agree with you, Zach, that I think Garrett Green's the best option due to this offensive line. Well, I also think that you're making a good point in, you know, Nico's going to be a part of the conversation. But it's not it's not very typical of a freshman to come in in this first year, even though he's going to be here in January and get on the team and learn the offense and everything else like that a little early, not coming in in the summertime. That'll help but it's very atypical for a freshman to come in and be that guy. I hope to God that he is, and that'd be awesome. But why right. not Why not give Green the opportunity with, you know, the full allotment of plays, not just coming in in packages or situational football. Let him at least show what he's got because this is the best time to give him that opportunity. See what you have for next year possibly. I don't think that allowing Daigie to have that – Time, and I'm, again, I'm not putting all this on him. I will not, I have not, and I will continue to not. But I think that giving Green that shot to see what he's got and maybe even turn this thing around, it might be mutually beneficial. And you know what, Zach? I kind of see where you're coming from on that because I, because I'm, because I was, as I was listening to you, I understand where you're coming from and I kind of agree, but I'm going to blame you with a little pump and brakes on it too. But if, if Green's the future, right? Let's, let's go ahead and hand it to him now. And then you've got an idea going into the summer and spring of, okay, what we saw wasn't enough. Now we can really open this thing up. Nico will have a shot. Goose will have a shot. Green, you've got a shot too. And now you've got a really good option because now Green comes in and turns this thing around and he evolves and adapts and becomes the kind of quarterback this system needs. Then you know, okay, for the next two, we're set. Let's go. So I can kind of see where you're coming from on that. But at the same time, it's kind of like I don't know how much invested the, the the fan base right now would be into well we're just going to hand him the keys and if we win one more game we'll call it a good deal because we're going to handle in the future 
You know what, though, CJ, that's interesting you bring that up, but I also think that there is something to that because I think the fan base right now is so tired of Daggy that they might take that as a victory from Neil Brown and just let him ride. And if we win, we go four and eight with Green. We go four and eight with Green. Um, and at least Zach, you have a young you guy say about there. that. But I kind of think that might be the reality of some of this fan base right now. The couch coaches are out in full force right now. Well, yeah, and they can all send their resumes into Morgantown too. And that's that's all well and good. I understand that these people have no bearing. I have no bearing. None of us do. Those guys in the front office, the guys on the field, they know what's the right thing to do. We're here just speculating. All I'm trying to say is I'm not even saying that Green is necessarily going to be a guy who gets on the field and goes out there and plays like Jameis Winston his freshman year. It's in all likelihood not going to happen like that. But let me ask you an honest question. Do you think that this offense would be significantly worse with him out there most of the time? Garrett Green? Yes. I, I will I will I will say this because I think we both saw it in person the Texas Tech game. Despite him maybe not making the right reads on the run game, that was exciting. And we moved the ball down the field well until we didn't, right? Well, and um, how do you learn how to make those plays better? Experience. I agree. Reps, reps are what it's about. Here's the thing that to, to think about. Now we gotta bring this back up, referring to Nico. You talked about Jameis Winston. I remember when Chad Pennington uh, back in 95 at Marshall came in as the four-string guy on the depth chart, ended up winning the job, getting them to the FCS championship game. It was still called – it was called 1AA back then. But when you're a special guy like Nico might be, it might be atypical. So let's also remember that when we keep talking about giving the keys to Green, giving the keys to Green. I want to see Garrett Green play more. I think me and you talked about this a little bit and said – I'd like to see maybe the snaps go the opposite way of they're going now. Go 60 per, 60% with, with Green, 40% with Dakey, whereas now it's more like maybe 75-25. I mean, that'd be a step in the right direction. I just want to see what he's capable of because another thing, if we're going to play so poorly offensively, I mean, it'd be nice to at least have a running game with the possibility of Green being able to make passes. We don't even know what he can do as a passer yet. Obviously, his reads are not where they need to be. He's still a young guy. I get all that. Allow him to make mistakes and try and learn from them. If he doesn't, then fine. You know what you have. But at least if you're losing games with a younger guy and figuring out what you have, that's excusable more so than continuing to lose games and have horrible offensive performances or lackluster offensive performances with somebody in Daggy who's played a lot of games and you kind of know what you have with him. Again, I'm not putting the whole weight of this situation on him because the offensive line is playing very poorly, and that's not going to help him at all. But in in conjunction with that, he can't really help them at all because he's not relieving any of that pressure with his legs. He can't. He's physically incapable. He is, but I think in the case of something like Saturday, it didn't really matter. We, Baylor jumped on them so quick. We got crushed. It, it, well, but here's the thing, though. We, we talked about what we were able to do to Tech, right? We made Tech one-dimensional. That's exactly what Baylor did to us. And then they told their defensive line, pin your ears back and go. And, and against you, that offensive line, you can't do that right now at all. We have yeah, to have the ability to yeah, run the football. So I'm not so sure in a game like Baylor it would have made that much of a difference. But I do see where you are saying, yeah, he kind of helps alleviate some of that pressure. But it only alleviates it to a point if if he can get to a point where he's – properly allowing plays to develop and not just deciding he's going to do it all on his own. Cause there are some times that it feels like he just decides, you know what, I'm going to make all this up in one play instead of allowing sometimes things to develop and, and to really make the secondary and those linebackers play a little more honest. And that's, that's part of being young. And let me, let me kind of reference, cause I, I didn't watch the majority of the game on Saturday, I was at Kings Island, and I really didn't want it to bring my whole experience down because after the first half watching, it just <laughs> hey, wasn't fun. It was as scary at Kings Island, time. Zach, as it was watching that game. Yeah. yeah. This Halloween situation I got at Kings Island is pretty fun, but I don't even know if it was as scary as what was going on in the field in Waco. <laughs> but I want to bring up something that kind of highlights the duality of what you just said with Green. So there were back-to-back plays in the third quarter because I watched a little bit today during my lunch hour at work, and there were two That's plays dedication back-to-back. right there. That's like bringing the lunch pail Virginia Tech style right there, Zach. I fucking love it. Hey, you're damn right. I'm a film guy. That's right. So You're be- that- you're becoming a football guru guy, whether you know it or not, man. Watching film at work, I love it. Hey, I'm growing. I'm growing a little bit at a time. And that's Hopefully coming from an HR guy right there. All for it, buddy. 
<laughs> so there were back-to-back plays in the third quarter. Deggy was a quarterback. So it was a second down. Deggy rolled out to his left. He was flushed out of the pocket. There was one defensive lineman in his path, and if he had any mobility at all, he could have turned it upfield and broken it and probably taken it 30 yards if it were Garrett Green. Unfortunately, he didn't have that ability. He had to throw it out of bounds, you know, no harm, no foul. That's a play where you have Green in there. He can make a play. He can make things happen with his legs where you don't have that with Diggy. I'm not saying that's a cure-all, but it's something that you have offensively that you don't with Diggy. Counter, counterpoint to that, the way the offensive line is playing, you have something happen the very next play on third down that Green, Michael Vick, couldn't do anything about. The defensive end on Daigie's right comes completely untouched. I think he basically hits Daigie as soon as the snap hits his hand. Yeah, he got smoked on that one. That can do anything about that. So my point is, with the the offensive line is playing, at least give yourself a chance to make plays with a guy like Green where when things break down, he can maybe make some magic happen. And it may not always be perfect, but at least you're working with a guy in a season that's, you know, on a low end right now. It's on the down trend that maybe can help you. And if he doesn't, you're learning about what you have. Because I don't yeah. think Dave is any part of the future of this team. I don't think that's unfair to say. No, I don't think that's unfair to say, but <clears throat> let me ask you this because you're the, the big green guy. Does anybody else – get a little nervous because he takes some shots that I don't think necessarily he needs to. He he doesn't have that get down and live for another day in, in, in him that I would kind of like to see at my quarterback because he, he he drops his head and takes some unnecessary shots I think for his position. I agree with that. and I think Especially at his size. Agreed, for sure. And I think that's a big part of being young. It's a big part of his personality in the field. But let me throw this curveball at you. Is it possible that given he would hit it too? He's a good hitter. Yeah, for sure. He's a <laughs> hell of a baller. So let me ask you this: Is it possible that given his limited amount of snaps that he's getting, that he's more so out there gunning to make plays to prove that he can be out there? He's trying to make plays to get his guys riled up to get the team going. Maybe he wouldn't do that as much, and like he would play a little smarter if he, you know, had more control of the offense. If he had more snaps to work with, that's a possibility, right? Zach, I don't, I don't think there's any more true statement than what you just said. I think he's a he's a gamer, and he and he loves to be the guy that makes the play to get the guys going, and he doesn't have many of them now. So now, like you said, maybe sometimes he decides to take off when he shouldn't, and if he had more reps and knew he was going to get to play another play, maybe he would be a little bit smarter. Maybe he would look at that read again before saying, I, "I've got this. I'm going to make the play." I think there's definitely something to that, buddy. I mean, if you have a longer leash on him, maybe he develops a little more intuition, a little more. And those reps make so much of a difference. I mean, you're you're getting in practice what you can get in practice. But there are some guys that in games are better than they are in practice. That's just the fact of the matter. Absolutely. 1,000%. Um, I mean, let's let's be quite honest about it. I don't know for certain about this, but I'm imagining Pat White was one of those guys. Because he never took the job from Bednarik till the Louisville game, right? That's right. Some guys just have that ability to turn it on when the lights when the lights come on, and I think Garrett Green might be one of those guys. We, and again, I, just a disclaimer: we're like we made in the past. We're not comparing Garrett Green to Pat White. Just for anybody out there who might be thinking we are, we are not. No. Yeah, and and that was and that was true of Pat. I, he, him in practice versus him in the game was was very very different. And I have that on pretty good authority, but I mean. And, and you're right. We're not trying to compare him to Pat White. And I think White's athleticism was off the charge, which is kind of what really helped. And then he learned to kind of get better in the pocket as, as he got older. And you and you might be right on that with Green, that the, the reps and the longer leash and the freedom to say, hey, this is, you know, this is going to be your game type of deal you know, might be – might be what it takes, uh, and you're never really going to know that you put him in that situation. So I, I'm not disagreeing with where you're coming from, um, but based off of the question that started this conversation, do I think that's the way they head? No. Would I have an issue if they head that way with it? No, not at all. 100% give it the key to see what happens. But you're never going to know unless Neil pulls that trigger. Hey, so let's so let's kind of we, – we kind of,
for a while now. Um, how much do we actually think Gary Green will play? I think he's definitely going to play more than what he's been playing here against TCU, though. I don't think I don't think there's any question about that. Just from Brown's comments, he's going to see more playing time. I don't well, think there's any question, right? He was complimentary as to what he did against Baylor in the time that he had. He looked good in that drive, with, Zach. He really did. And granted, the the drive that he scored on with that 13 yard run, they had two penalties that obviously yep. kept that those drives or that drive in particular alive. So without those penalties, you know, ended up being a three and out on the punt. Obviously, have the running into the kicker. Then you have a third and 15 where he gets sacked trying to make a play on a rollout. He gets the face mask, and then right after that, he gets the touchdown. So. It was helped by those penalties for sure, but, you know, he did make plays, and that's what you're looking for. Hey, and Like you said, Brown made comments that were complimentary of him. They, you know, he said that as far as his reads on pass plays and things like that, he was more successful in that at Baylor than he was against Texas Tech, which he played very minimally against Texas Tech. So hopefully that's something that Brown is seeing in him that gives him more comfort in playing him. But I guess time will tell. Absolutely, Zach. And I'm going to say this real quick, too. Um before we kind of jump off the Garrett Green onto some other topics, because I think there is one in particular I really want to get to. But I, I want to ask this question. Um, Garrett Green, I think our inability to score in the red zone, I think he changes all of that. Mm. Now, granted, we had big-time troubles when he was in the game against Texas Tech and cost us two big timeouts, which inevitably was part of the reason why we lose that game, not having more time at the end, I think. But – we're not scoring in the red zone. That's just a reality of it. We're not finishing drives. And Garrett Green does have that ability to make a play with his feet. I want to see more of him in the red zone especially. Um, but I don't know, fellas. I just kind of think that we got to see more of than quick, especially in the red area, because we are absolutely struggling. We might be one of the worst teams in the country when it comes to red zone scoring, especially touchdown percentage. Well, let me touch on the point you just made about the timeouts that were really costing us Texas Tech. If I'm not mistaken, I believe Brown mentioned that it was a personnel issue. The guys that they put on the field, I don't think you can really even put that on green. If he was put on the field, it was about the coach's decision. So if they if they made that mistake and take a timeout before it, it's not his fault. Uh, I mean, and, and I'm with you, Zach, but he's also the quarterback, so he is the leader on the field. He was on the field when both those timeouts were taken. I mean – I, I am with you, though, in terms of that, if that's a, a more of a coaching thing. But maybe he should have been able to recognize it a little bit sooner and, and figure something out to get us out of the play or get something else going. That's possible. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I think the one thing, and I agree with you, we have not been real good about putting the ball in the end zone once we get into the red zone, settling for too many field goals. I wonder if some of it, too, with, with green there is – the windows, the windows in the field get a lot smaller there. Defense is really more of an advantage, uh, less turf to cover. I'm wondering if maybe some of his not letting the things develop um, and, and his limit somewhat in the passing game would affect there too. But I'm with you. I mean, you gave him out there, gave him the opportunities and, and let him kind of learn from them. But I'm wondering if maybe that's some of the hesitation in it too. Well, I understand that, CJ, but – the reality of it is one read and go in the red zone is probably all you really need to do anyway, especially with a guy who's got his legs. I mean, scores on a 13-yard touchdown, right? Dakey's not scoring on that play. Running quarterbacks in the red zone are deadly. Yeah. Well, no, they, they, they can be, and I, and I do understand that. I get where you're coming from, too. But like I said, sometimes you get in those little tougher areas depending on where you're at, depending on the, on the matchups. But, no, I mean, I, I think they do need to get better in that aspect. I think some of it's – some of it's on the coaching staff. Some of it's on players just getting their job done, too, because, you know, when you get in the red zone there, it's like we've said, the offensive line then becomes key, getting push, you know, doing some things that we just – we have not been able to do this year. Kind of everything just kind of comes back to the offensive line player and lack thereof. 27 trips, and, we, and we, end up, we end up getting it with 16 touchdowns. So we're looking at what, Zach, what would you say it was 63% of the time? 59% you're scoring a touchdown. And I wonder, and I'd like to go back and look and take out the LIU game where that percentage is. That would be an interesting stat to have. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, would, be a, that would definitely be an interesting one. I think the, the one – you know, we haven't really focused on too is is our inability to convert on third down. I mean, we're thirty nine percent on third down. That that's 
that's got to get so much better. That, that I think that hurts us too at times. Oh, absolutely, because you can't extend drives and the defense is back out there. Or for a better life, we're just we're putting ourselves. But you know what? A lot of that is too, CJ. How many times do we get penalties on third down, especially from this inconsistent young offensive line? They continue to shoot themselves in the foot, and it shoots the entire team goes down with them. Oh yeah, no, I I completely agree with that. Okay, yeah, I mean, and as far as the red zone efficiency, um, you know, for the rankings, we're tied for forty fourth in the country. Um, with the with the 16 touchdowns and the 27 trips, the the shocking part of that number, I think, is is that 10 of those are actually rushing touchdowns. So, I mean, so as far as efficiency, I mean, we're top 50, but yeah, it, it's definitely got to get better. Do do we have LIU numbers though? Give me what we were in there. What at least five touchdowns in that game? I'm trying to. Pull I mean, you take that up right now. Yeah, CJ, we'll let you back down. Crap like that. I want to get to something real quick. Back in the day, uh, Mark Schleyball and the boys on ESPN used to write a column about each game, like a telling stat, when it was over. You knew it was over when. Zach, for you, was it over? When did you kind of officially give up hope that we could pull that thing off? When I turned it off at Kings Island, I was in line for the Diamondback, but it took probably about an hour and a half to get on there. It was a pretty busy day, but – I was watching line intently, having hoped that maybe we could turn things around. But after the fourth touchdown that Baylor put up on us and we just had no hope of stopping them in any way, shape, or form, and Bohannon was being made to look like he was freaking Tom Brady out there, it was just – I thought it was too much. And I was just like, you know what, I'm done. I can't, I can't continue to watch them tear us up with not only their receivers but their tight end and Sims. I'm like, this is tough. And we're not going to so, score enough to come back when they're already up twenty-eight to ten. It's just, it's just too much at so, that point. I'm done. So you, so you bagged it. You bagged it twenty-eight to seven after they scored their fourth touchdown. It was a twenty-eight. Yeah, it was twenty-eight-seven at that point. You're right. Cause, yep. Cause, after that, was, it was over for me. Because Zach, I'll tell you, when it was over, over for me, and I think when, if I'm writing that column, what, what I would say it was over, over, was when they scored the touchdown on their first drive of the third quarter after we had come back and gotten two field goals to make it 28 to 13 we're kind of hanging ish right if we got a play there maybe cut it to eight if we go for two but when they score right off the bat and made it look easy in the third quarter uh officially then you kind of knew okay not our day and the Baylor Bears are going to be victorious and they're going to move on and continue their kind of dreamish season to some extent coming back five and one now and we're, we're staring two and four in a bye week in the face and have really got to get it revved up for TCU. That was the moment. When they made it 35-13, to 13, I knew it was over. What about you, CJ? Yeah, I, I'm kind of like, uh, like Zach on that one. You know, when they went up 28, that was kind of for me when I kind of knew what it was going to be um, for that. So, I mean, because we, we had no answer for them um, offensively. Um, what they were doing, uh, we were struggling um, offensively. It just, it, it was setting up to just be one of those ugly days, and that's kind of when I was like, "Yeah, the, the, this is not going to be a be a good day for the Mountaineers." Yeah, I mean, I think when it got to be thirty five thirteen, that was that was the final straw. I think they scored again before we kind of finally got the the window dressing touchdown with Garrett Green, which for our team, seeing Garrett Green lead a touchdown drive that's a welcome sign and we got to be happy about it. But there's also just a, a level of um, a, a level of, a level of kind of uh, just disappointment by the whole effort in general. Um, and guys, that's where I want to get to next is let's, let's talk about the remainder of the season and what we think are, what are we looking for um, in terms By the way, of, I have your answer for the LIU red yes, zone numbers. Yes. Uh, nine trips, seven touchdowns. Jesus. So CJ, <laughs> if you take if you oh, take that, shit. oh my god. All right. So if we take that out, you got. I've already got the numbers ready. All right, Zach, hit me with them. Take those away. You're nine of eighteen on the season. Fifty percent. Knew it. We suck ass in the red zone. Let me tell you something else. At least our opponents are worse than us at scoring in the red zone. I see our defensive red zone numbers. 
our opponents are eight for 23 at scoring touchdowns in the red zone. It's pretty freaking phenomenal. Off. We have one of the best red zone defenses in the country. I don't think there's any question about that. We just we're just terrible at scoring ourselves as well down there. It's, yeah. I mean, but think about it. That's why our games are the scores they are. And mm-hmm. minus Saturday, no one's really put up any uh, offensive prowess against us at all. Yeah, that's that's the that's the tough part. And you know, until Baylor, we were right there because our defense was really helping keep us in it. Our offense was just not doing near enough to help them out, and that's the frustrating part. And now you see what happened against Baylor, and you're like, oh god, now the defense is going to hell. But hopefully, like we said, that's just a one-off. We think kind of is the dream scenario for the rest of the season, and what is kind of the more realistic, potentially doomsday scenario. And maybe not. Let's just say that again. A realistic scenario and then a doomsday, because I think there is something potentially in the middle of all three of those. Unfortunately, my initial feeling on it is that in all likelihood, just based on, you know, our remaining schedule, even though we have, you know, three home games left to play, obviously three away games as well. I unfortunately think that we're destined for the same record we had in Neil's first season at five and seven. Obviously, I'm hopeful that we can find a way to pull you know, four or five wins out of our ass and be a bowl team and turn this thing completely around in the second half. But I just – I don't know. I think TCU is obviously gettable. If you don't get them, you've got to hold a different conversation. You have to, you know, have to take part of and have. Get them. You're three and four, like you said. You've got Iowa State. That one concerns me, even though they've been lackluster. I think that they're due for some wins. But, again, it's home. Spooky Halloween weekend. You never know what's going to happen there. Um, Oklahoma State and Texas, they're both going to be tough, but I think we can get one of them at home. It's just a matter of actually doing it. Kansas, you've got to win there. I'm not even going to talk about it. So if it really comes down to how you bounce back from this Baylor loss against TCU coming out of the bye week. Obviously getting that Kansas game, that puts you two wins away from being bowl eligible. And it's getting two of those three home games, I think. It, it's got to happen like that if we want to have any shot. I'd, I'd agree, Zach. I think if you get Saturday – I keep saying Saturday. This bye week is really screwing me up. Yeah. Um, if we get the game in Fort Worth and we're three and four, I think we definitely have a possibility. Because like you said, Iowa State, while they haven't been what they are, they scare me more now than what they would have had they been coming flying in high. They're a good team, but they're gettable. And I think Oklahoma State is is gettable. And, and I think Texas Kansas State. Yeah, Kansas State's and, gettable too. And, and Texas defensively um, is not great. Uh, I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, now, the, could we rile up the troops and be ready in a, a potential game for us that means a lot with the bull berth potentially still on the line? I think it's a game we can win versus Texas. So I, I say this. I think there's a very good possibility – that we could flip the script and be six and six because there's a, I mean, let's be honest, we could very easily be four and two right now instead of two and four. So let's hope for the best guys. And I think that's something that we got to continue to keep harping on. I don't think there's a game left that we can't win. It's just a matter of everyone's doom and gloom at the moment and rightfully so to some extent, but I think the, the climb has only just begun and we've, we've got to keep people, engaged and I think a lot of a lot of the fan bases has shown themselves their true colors and it's been pretty nasty yeah I mean I'd agree with that because I because there's six games left you only need four to be bell eligible so that's four and two TCU to me is gettable Iowa State's kind of a of a toss-up you know Oklahoma State what do we really know I mean probably should have lost at Boise State struggled with Tulsa we know they dominated Baylor though Mm mm-hmm yeah. So Granted, I mean, at home, but still. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, some of that – I look at the schedule and I can still be very optimistic. I think the two – you know, to go four and two down the stretch to get to six and six, to me the two losses would be Oklahoma State and Texas. Everybody else you got to get. And you know what, though, guys, and I, and, I, and I say this, depending on what happens with the Green Daggy situation, I think the defense can get back on track and maybe we pull out a couple of these games that we didn't pull out in the first half of the season. We're on a climb. And Neil, Neil, you know, I think if you listen to the press conference this week, he said there's no reason to be miserable, doom and gloom. We've got a long season to go, and I don't think he's going to allow these guys to fall to fall apart. I think they're going to have some renewed energy 
and be revived. Now, granted, you lose TCU and you're two and five, things change. And I, and I truly do believe that. And I think it's hard not to have that opinion. And one other thing that we don't, we haven't really had to discuss to this point and something you kind of have to think about as the season continues to go on, we've been really fortunate with injuries at this point, And this team isn't one that has a ton of depth. So as with injuries, it's just inevitable. So how we can respond to that too is going to make a difference. That's kind of why I'm leaning in all likelihood splitting the six games and going 500 for the rest of the season to get to five and seven. I hope I'm wrong. I hope we can get to a bowl because as insignificant as it might seem to some people, getting that extra – It's a big deal. It's a big deal. You get an extra month of prep basically. You're playing for something still later in the season when half the other teams in the country can't say that. So it does mean something even if it's a meaningless seeming bowl. Zach, it does mean something because it's it's gives something for your fans to be excited about. Right. It gives you something to look forward to the whole month of December. It means you don't have to. It means you don't have to literally shift automatically to to basketball and hugs and, and, and the boys there um, at the beginning of December. It gives you a little hope, man. It gives you some life, and it's fun. Bowl season's the best time of the year, as Andy Williams always said. It's the most wonderful time of the year. And we want to be a part of that. You know, regardless of what it is, regardless of how big the bowl is, you want to be playing in it. Fellas, I don't think there's much more we can get into unless you guys got some parting shots, but I think we kept Um, it nice and tight today. Ransom, no huddle, bye week, get ready for TCU. CJ, you got something, though. Hit me with it, buddy. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think the defense is, is going to get back to form. I think what we saw Saturday is an aberration. But I think the the biggest key for me on that one is going to be third downs, extending drives, and letting them get some rest. They've spent a ton of time earlier in the year on the field. Yep. And with that lack of depth, like Zach mentioned, with injuries, you're wondering how much of it's starting to play. The bye week comes in at a nice time because it, mm-hmm. it, it looked like they were starting to just mm-hmm. – the lack of depth was wearing them. And you could hey, see and that. You know who, and you know who extends plays? Zach's boy, G.G., Seriousness, though, I understand that CJ may you may what you honestly I can't even talk. What you may think CJ is what Brown is going to do is keep Daggy out there. What do you think he should do? I mean, with the with the state the team is in, with the situation with the offensive line, you know, with Daggy maybe not being who you want to focus your attention on for the future. What would what would you suggest he do? I mean, what I would do in his situation is is I at this point two and four bowl games still sitting out there but I mean that's pretty much it as far as probably early season goals I'd turn the reins over and the only reason I would do it is is I want to get a look now right headed in because Nico's coming see what you got right and right and that's and I and I have no issues with that and I'm completely on board with that like I said I was taking it from the from the standpoint of the question is what will you know what do we think he will do what I think he will do is what he's what he's shown and I think Green's going to get more packages and more opportunities against TCU but I would just go ahead and hand it over now and then that way you can go into your offseason going okay we've got our guy or this is going to be an open competition boys come get it I I would just like to see what they what he can do if you've got the game plan around him like you're playing around his strengths you're designing your run game around what him and Letty can do in the, out of the backfield, even with him and Justin Johnson when he gets his time, and then design him plays that are, you know, acclimated to what he can bring the offense. Obviously, it's not just him out there, but your quarterback is the center of your offense. So I'd like to see what happens with that rather than just packages that, you know, have him out there for five plays and then he gets yanked out for God knows how long. Hey, but do you know what, though? I think we're going to see a combination of a little bit of both, right? I think we're going to see Daggy against TCU, depending on the result. Let's say we end up losing that fifth game against Iowa State. We're three. Oh, then five. it's over. You got to get then, to that point. Then Green's going to get more run. I think that might be a possibility too. One thing I didn't think about is kind of the desperation of this situation coming out of the bye week after what happened to Baylor. They may roll with Daggy simply because you may not want to leave that game up to chance, and it being on the road as well, I mean, there's a lot of significance around that game. They may not feel comfortable giving it to Green at that at that yep. juncture for that reason. I didn't think Bingo, about it. Zach. I, I think that's – honestly, I think that's exactly what will happen. 
Yeah. I think Green will get more opportunities. I think he'll definitely get more more looks. He'll probably play a lot more. But I think Day you'll still get a lot of run because it's a big game. And if we lose it, then boom, it's pretty much all over. But if we win it, then man, I mean crazy things floating happen, in the same right? fucking atmosphere you've been floating in this whole time where oh is it Daggy? Oh is it green? Oh, I'm just gonna go with green and sprinkle a little bit of or go with Daggy and sprinkle a little green in here. I'm just wrong. I feel you I feel you in your concern. I feel you in your thing with it. But let's let's say this real quick. Let's just say for some odd reason we play TCU and we match up well with them and we beat them. And then Daggy and, and Green and that whole combo works and we win on you know, a game against Iowa State on Halloween. Then we come back and got a lot of momentum in Oklahoma State. Who knows? Maybe we win. Maybe we don't. But we're five and four or four and five. And then we're playing, you know, a game where it's Kansas State, Texas and Kansas. I'm just saying, I don't think it's time to totally throw him out yet or throughout the season for that matter. Because I think we could win a couple games and change things drastically in how we feel. Because, man, I think if, if, if you could tell me, Right now, that this team is going to end up going seven and six, I think we'd be ecstatic with that right now. I mean, it's definitely a matter of kind of splitting the season into two halves because this first half of the season has been a massive disappointment based on what you were expecting. But no, no question. But then you come in the second half, like you say, go seven and six with what you would, you know, have a bowl win there. You, Go four and two in the second half of the regular season, then five and two with the bowl. That's obviously a massive improvement. So it's not overall what you were hoping for coming into the season. But if you compare the first half of the season to the second half, at least they made a turnaround going into and, next year. That's what and, that's the best you can hope for. And you would be five and two down the stretch with a bowl right. win, especially maybe when like, a couple good wins. Yeah, yeah, you didn't start strong, but. Hey man, twenty twenty two is looking up. Right. Not about how you start, it's about how you finish. And yeah. especially thinking back to Dana's teams who always finished like finished like shit. Yep. Browns teams for the most part have actually finished the season pretty strong. Mm-hmm. Think about that year after he dropped to Texas Tech, he wins two or three in games he really had no business winning on the road. Mm-hmm. Then last year, you know, we we won our bowl game. Um we were okay in October, November. That this the way the season broke down was just weird, anyway. But I think you kind of give a little bit of let's let's give Grant Brown a little bit of credit, man. I, man, I'm tired of these people on Facebook that think they know more about the game of football than him, or that he's the worst coach ever, or we'd never do that to Dana. Y'all need to shut the fuck up and and trust a little bit in what this guy's done. And you think you could run things better? What do you know about offensive line coaching? Let's be honest about it. And Probably also, less than ten percent of people who watch or know or watch football have any idea. And I'm not saying I know a lot. I know a little bit just because of the people that I know who played offensive line, and that's very limited. But come on, y'all people are ridiculous. Yeah, well, and, and, also- I, and I and I commented this on somebody who was like, "Oh, you know, I I could coach better, or whatever." I flat commented and told him I was like, "Well, then send your resume into," and I gave the exact mailing address, attention, Sean Lyons. And that's exactly where I'm at. Just because you can call plays on Madden rookie mode doesn't mean you know what the fuck you're doing. Exactly. And anybody who calls for a coach's job, unless there are some serious issues going on in the program in general, not just losing games that you don't want to lose, anybody who's calling for a coach's job after three years, including a COVID year that fucked up pretty much everybody, it's absurd. It's absolutely exactly. absurd. And let's also say this real quick. Some of these people are still saying that, oh, the cover wasn't bare from Dana. My Shit. ass. If we you, saw, you, if you truly believe that, if you truly believe that. You don't know dick. You don't. You absolutely don't. And I've seen one guy in particular that's been a hater on Neil since the, since day one. And he keeps saying, oh, Dana didn't leave the cover bare. It's a lie. Blah, blah, blah. Dave Aranda's winning year two in Baylor. And I'm like, yeah, Dave Aranda had Matt Rule co- recruiting Seriously. for him. How could you, you ask for much fucking more? Well, the funny part is, is because I've seen that article that we talked about last time and it, everybody's going, oh, that, oh, what are we just setting up excuses now? No, dude, this is the facts of life, man. Legitimate, legitimate evidence. <clears throat> you know, you can't like, I mean, for the love of God, he had one guy, one, he inherited one NFL player. And on the offensive line, no less, which granted, you don't want to sneeze at that, but it's not like you have a major skill position player like a Kevin White. Yeah, I mean, Gino, Stedman, and Tavon aren't walking back through that door. 
Yeah, and exactly. Dana inherited all those. Mm-hmm. And, and we go act like that. That bothers me. By the end of his tenure, like before this year's out, Brown might end up having two, maybe three, who are able to say they were on NFL roster when he inherited him. Because I think he obviously inherited Letty, and there's a chance of that. And then maybe, maybe a defensive player might find a way to stick. I mean. What it's, what year was Dana's I, third year? Was that? Well, I think, was that I think the, still I think Stills has an opportunity. I think a guy has an opportunity. Oh, I agree. I agree with both. A guy definitely does, but he didn't inherit him. No, he brought he him in. Now, hey, was, Zach, now, on Nick that question, was the Dana guy, right? I thought so too, but he also was a freshman in in, in the Dana era. So, like, I know I when we talked about this earlier, Zach said he was a Neil guy because he he did continue. Uh, Nick Troy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Nick Troy, I think, is a guy that's got an opportunity to, to make an NFL roster. Yeah, I think maybe by the time it's all said and done, he might have four. Might have four. Um, but I also want to bring this up real Hey, Zach, year three for Dana Yeah, that's what was, I was the saying. trick of year. That was, was the year when year? we got our asses. Oh, yes, sir. It was the it was the trick at Millard for children's year. Okay. No. Where we beat Oklahoma State at home as a top when they were a top ten team and then we just sputtered down the stretch. Okay. For children's that this is not fucking that. And that was a atrocious no. situation. It's could it's, could there be a worse quarterback prospect than Ford? My God. <laughs> I don't He's know. So highly touted too. I mean like that that was like he made Nick Chubbinoff look good. That's how damn bad he was. That's hard to do, make Chubbinoff look good. I know, but I'm just being real. I feel like he might have. <laughs> no, I mean, that's – and that's that's just – I mean, so, Zach, when you talk about year three of Dana versus year three of of Neil, people need to get, get a little bit of a grip, you know? That's what uh, Dana had Geno Smith, probably one of the best quarterbacks in entire school history – in terms of a passer, still number one on almost every record that we have, and we're going to try and compare what Dana had in his first couple of years to what. Please give me a break. You know, I mean, I, I just I'm tired of these people who think they know everything about it in year three that we got to fire our coach because we're two and four. Get a grip, get an absolute love and grip. Yeah, I mean, no, nothing else needs to be said. No, I mean it's it it's ridiculous. I mean. He's in year three, like we said. He didn't inherit a whole lot. Had COVID in his second year. I mean, it it it's calmed down. Like people want us to be Oklahoma and Texas in this league, and we're not there. And it, that takes time. Just just to bring up a similar situation, Dana's third year played Maryland in Baltimore. Anybody know what the score of that game was? Thirty to nothing, Zach. Thirty-seven nothing. Ah. Well, I know Fort Childers started that. Obviously, not an apples to apples comparison there, but my God, yeah, uh, most certain, most certainly enough of a comparison to where um, we can Andy look at it. Kansas. And he lost to Kansas. Yeah, he did oh. lose to Kansas that year. Ugh. Let's just let's just hope and pray that doesn't happen. If that happens, then we've got. Major issues. But. If that happens, then we will definitely beat them in basketball this year. <laughs> Got to even the scale somehow. Absolutely. Well, until next time, fellas, y'all take it easy. Let's go Mountaineers. Let's go drink some beers. Yeah.